Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. And I realized then that it isn't about the best ideas. The best ideas are not the ones that win. It's the best communicated ones. It's the ones with the best story that win. And I became obsessed with that. And I really saw that again as I went out into the workplace, as I became a manager, as I was up for promotion. Uh, Even as I went to write the book, I realized it's not the best idea that wins. It's the best communicated one. What's going on, U-Turn friends? I saw that you guys absolutely loved one of my podcast episodes on storytelling, and so I thought that I would bring the pro on himself to go even further on the topic of public speaking, storytelling, and really how to captivate people with your story. And so I wanted to bring Mike Ganino onto the show. Not only is he one of my friends and really a good time and fun person to listen to, but he is somebody who is the producer of TEDx Cambridge. Um, He also has the Mic Drop Moment podcast, and he's the host, and just so much to offer. So we're going to talk about some hacks for how you can tell your story, whether it's in your job, in your life, all the things. Mike, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be, you know, last time we got to hang out together, we, we were supposed to meet for like an hour. And I think like four hours later, we had each had like several coffees. So yeah, I'm, totally. uh, I'm caffeinated and ready to do it again. That's so funny. Cause I remember leaving you being so high on caffeine that I think I overwhelmed whoever I saw next. Like I remember that in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember I had like a call uh, at the end and I'm sure this person was probably like, what happened to you? You are very, very energetic right now. But I think it was, you know, I must say part of it was the coffee and part of it was just like our energy combining and yeah. dreaming up big things. Yeah, definitely. And and that's something that I kind of identify you as. And sometimes I think people who are thinking about like telling their story, they're not always like dreamers like you are, you know, like that's not, and I, I find that there's such a creativity to the way your mind works. Like, how do you keep yourself so creative? Because I feel like you're always very stimulating when you're around people and chatting. <laughs> you know, part of it is part of it is like I'm just really curious. Like I think that so much of creativity comes from being curious about things around you. And so I'm mm-hmm. always, you know, like I was I was the kid who was like really into like social psychology books when I was 13 because I wanted to understand like why do people act like that? And I would look at the world and I would say like people people could generally misbehave like the world mostly works because we agree to follow the rules because we couldn't actually be contained uh there's not enough military power to contain us all so it mostly works because we all agree to follow the rules and i've always been curious like why is that and and is that always healthy like are there some rules we shouldn't follow and and i think often when you ask yourself those questions you realize that 
oh wait, there's a bunch of these rules that I'm following that are not actual rules and that actually aren't helping me. And on the other side of those, I often find creativity just because uh, it's an opportunity to say, well, what could we make here or what could be done here? And so for me, it just comes from, I don't know, looking around and saying, huh, I wonder what could, what could you make with that thing? That's really where I, a lot of my curiosity comes from. Mm, and I also find that you have a natural sense of humor, which <laughs> you know, I'm always fascinated by people who don't because I'm like, how do you not find the whole world so funny? It's so out there. Everybody is so out there. Everything is so entertaining. Is that something you think people can develop, like that kind of charisma? I th- yeah, I think, there's, I think there's some people who are charismatic. Like they're born with it. They're driven for it. They, they head towards it. But I also think there's a level of, of it that you can work on. And, and specifically around, you know, you're talking about humor and about being funny. And I'll often get people who come to work with me, they'll, they'll come in with a speech or a presentation that they want to work on with me. And they'll say, ah, oh, it's just so dry. It's so boring. And I want to be funny. And what I always try to help them rethink is you're not trying to be funny like a stand-up comedian. Our job is not to write a book for you, not to write a, a joke for you. Our job is to say, how can we look at the reality that you're presenting and find the humor inside of it? And that really came from my background as an improv actor. I was at Second City. I was at Improv Olympic. All the places where people go for improv, I've trained or performed there. And the job of an improviser and the job of a lot of the sketch comedy, if you think of Saturday Night Live or you think of some of those types of shows, the job is to look at reality and say, Mm -hmm. what in this reality is something that if we all looked at it, we could look at it in a way that's interesting and we could laugh. We don't need to make, we don't need to make a stand-up joke necessarily. What we need to do is look at reality and say, where's the shared experience here that we could all, if we just looked at it through a certain lens, we could all say, you know what, this is a little bit ridiculous. And so for me, that's something I think most people can develop. And I've seen it with, with people I've worked with. I've, I've worked with people and they've definitely been more humorous. They've mm-hmm. brought more, um, more levity. Because if you think of comedy really, like your favorite comedians are usually the ones who are just making observations that it's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I think. Or, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want to say, but I've never said it. And Mm -hmm. that's funny to us. It's a little bit of a tension relief, isn't it? Yeah. I find that that's the job of, uh, especially in the personal development space of like a great speaker is being able to find words for something that people haven't yet been able to voice. And there's like some sort of healing that you can offer when you can put words to it. It's kind of like somebody who has a health issue and they keep going to doctors for a diagnosis and then they finally get to know what it is. It's that same relief that I think a great communicator can provide putting words to something. But, you know, one thing I noticed about you is not just when we first met, but like, I'm even looking at your LinkedIn profile right now. And I'm like, Oh my God, Mike, how have you done so many things? And I'm a lot like that too. And it makes me wonder, like, how do you tell your story when you were, you know, Dean of students for Potbelly university, like great sandwiches, by the way, a wine educator had like worked at like did operations for a homemade pizza company, chief operating officer of a protein bar, culture and brand advisor, head of people and culture for China. Like you have had such a variety of experience, author of company culture for dummies. Like it it doesn't get better than this. Like it's so interesting to listen and look at all the things you've been up to. And I find that as a multifaceted person, as a multi-passionate person, I've struggled to figure out how to like tell my story when there's so much to it. So like, how do you figure out what to share versus what not to? 
it's interesting, right, how much in the world we, we recognize in ourselves. We can look at ourselves and we could say, oh, yeah, I'm a person that, you know, I'm a dog parent and I'm a wine lover and I um, wrote this book and I did this TEDx talk and I once did this trip. We can recognize that in ourselves. And probably if you're listening out there, you can do that for yourself. You could say, I am all of these things and they can all be true about me. And yet we look at each other and we say, wait, you like wine and dogs? I'm so confused. Who are you? And it's, it like doesn't make any sense to me, but it's what we do, right? If we see someone that all of a sudden, uh, you know, if we saw that Madonna was going to write a, a historical, uh, historical fiction book, we'd be like, I don't understand what's going on. And it's like, well, of course she would. She's just a creative person expressing it in a new way. But we we tend to look at other people and we get really confused if the package isn't super clear. And we say, I don't know, is, is this person a, uh, are they an expert on storytelling? Or are they an expert on public speaking? Do they, do they teach wine? Like, who are they? So it's always been so interesting to me that we do that. And I think for me, one of the things that, and this is why when people are working on how do I tell my story, it's usually that there isn't one story to tell. That there isn't one story to go out there and say, ah, oh, I just went into the cave, I came back out, and now I've produced, and you, you, you're just, uh, you have your new book coming, so you know what it's like to say, oh, I, I just spent a lot of time in a cave working on a, a piece of yeah. art, you know, with something to say. Yeah. And with our stories, it's not quite the same. We don't need to do that because the reality is we need to change the frame for the people we're talking to. For example... When I'm interviewed on podcasts and they start the podcast and they often, um, I find, I'm going to say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag a little bit about you, Ashley. The, the, the hosts who are really great hosts do not do this. The hosts who are, you know, okay. The first thing they always say is, tell us about yourself. And I always think, well, I don't know. Why did you want me on your show? Like, why don't we tell people that reason? And you yeah. didn't do that because you're a, you're a brilliant interviewer and a great host. Oh my gosh, I need to keep you in my pocket and just get <laughs> all day. <laughs> I am your hype man every day, every day. But the reality is like when I go on those shows, I realize that my tell me about you needs to be different depending on who I'm meeting. And it's mm. the same thing when someone's thinking about a job interview. The first thing is when someone says, tell us more about you, they're, they are not asking. Start at birth and lead us chronologically to the point at which you're in front of us right now. And yet so many people in, I've, I've worked with, um, I'm working with uh, some alumni from Wharton right now to help them get ready for, for job interviews in this virtual world right that, that's going on when we're recording this. And this is one of the big things people struggle with is, well, tell me about yourself. And it's like, okay, I need one thing to say. And it's like, no, what we need to do is, understand the person in front of us and know what our goal is. So if I'm on a podcast where the, the audience are entrepreneurs who are just getting started in their business, then my introduction is going to be slightly different. My story about myself is going to be a little bit different because I want to frame it in a way that's helpful to them. If I'm on a podcast of um, people who use improvisational theater for other purposes. It's called applied improv and they use improv for medical, for first responders. If I'm going to show like that, then I'm going to frame my experience based on how I've leveraged my, the acting side of me to be successful in business. And I would mm -hmm. change it slightly. It's still me. It's still the truth. It's just a slightly different version so that it achieves its goal, which is to get that audience to say, 
huh, this person has something to offer me. And so my first, my little piece of advice there is everyone who's thinking, I've got to work on my story. Uh, you can you can let a little steam off of that valve because you're allowed to have multiple stories and you're allowed to change the frame they're in to make the audience, to fit the audience. I feel like everybody, including me, needed that permission. And I also <laughs> feel like, you know, like I'm actually struggling with my story because it's long. Like people ask me a lot on podcasts or even when I'm doing keynotes, like if there's Q&A after, like, what got you into this? Like, why, how are you coaching people on how to figure out what they want to do with their career? Or like, how are you a career person? It's easy for me to say I was at the Pentagon and I was really good at job hunting. I got a badass job and I learned how to job hunt, but I think people kind of grow and change. And so it's like, I can explain how I became a career expert, but like that other expertise I have of clarity coaching, it's like, I don't know, that just kind of happened because I coached so many people that I was able to figure out how to help them. You know what I mean? But did um, you did did you think there was like one moment when you were coaching someone where you were like, and it probably happened over time, but you, where you realized like, oh, this is the real thing people are stuck with. Like, do you remember a conversation where that happened where you thought, wait a second, I'm recognizing this over and over. I mean, I just remember like getting people, helping people through career coaching, like get a ton of job offers. And then they would come back and be like, I know how to get a job, but I actually don't know what job I want. Like, can you help me with that too? And so it was more just like the market kind of came to me and then I eventually got really good at it. So I guess that's what, I guess that's what I'm wondering the most is what if somebody who's listening and me included kind of feels like the truth of my story is kind of a bore. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think the, the thing that's interesting is like, we tend to think that like the, the, the truth of our, so for an audience, like for, for whether it's on a podcast or whether you're in front of someone in, in a boardroom, you're giving a presentation or a pitch virtually, you're on stage, you're doing Q&A, whatever the case is. We, we tend to think that like our stories need to be this Herculean thing that mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm, I need to have saved a child from a burning building for it to be worthy of me to say something. And yet again, over and over, we hear people with normal lives tell us, about opportunities and moments where they realized that they had a choice in front of them and they could go two different ways. And we listen to other people do that. And we, we think, wow, that's really interesting. Like, huh, I wonder what it is. But w- with ourselves, we think I need to have like an epic Academy Award winning story to be worthy. And I always think mm-hmm. that's very interesting of like, we give each other credit easily to say, oh, it's so interesting. She was telling me about a time where she was trying to decide between this kind of thing and this kind of thing. And it reminded me of this. And, and that's what we're really looking for. So like all the people that think, well, my story might be boring or it might not be that exciting. What I would say is often what happens in that case is if it truly is kind of boring, then the, the fact usually is that you're focusing too much on the details. Mm-hmm. And this is where the difference between what's true and the truth is important. So mm-hmm. what's true is, you know, what's true about me? Well, I'm 40 year old uh, guy. I was born in San Diego. I had, I wrote, you know, you said some of the things I wrote this book. I was an executive producer of this brand. I did this thing. Those are all things that are true, right? Mm-hmm. The truth about me is that from a very early age, I realized that the best ideas were not the ones winning. The best ideas in school. I remember running for like student body uh, class president 
And I think if you looked on paper, I was probably the best choice. I was like the National Honor Society president, I was editor of the newspaper. And the people I was running against were just like two really popular kind of vapid people. This is like a classic, I don't know, story on Lifetime movie or something like a, a high school drama. And so I was clearly the better choice on paper. And Obviously. I did it. And I did it. Win, if I do say so myself, right? Um, and I didn't win. And, and I realized then that it isn't about the best ideas. The best ideas are not the ones that win. It's the best communicated ones. It's the ones with the best story that win. And I became obsessed with that. And I really saw that again as I went out into the workplace, as I became a manager, as I was up for promotion. Uh, even as I went to write the book, I realized it's not the best idea that wins. It's the best communicated one. So the truth in me is that I'm a guy who's obsessed ever since I was like 14 at like helping, I like to say the underdog, but I work with anybody to, to tell their story so that the world takes notice. That's mm -hmm. the truth. of All the things you said, the kind things you said about me and the jobs I've had and the place I've been, those are all true about me, but they're true of a lot of people. The truth mm -hmm. in me is that I'm a guy who thinks that the underdog has a really great story to tell, that we all, if we look inside, have a great story to tell. So what I focus on there and what I would advise anyone who thinks my story is kind of boring, the truth is kind of boring, is don't focus on what's true in your story, the details. We often spend too much time on the exposition, which is that first part of a story where you learn, like, who is this about? What are they trying to say? What's going on? If you think of um, the movie Beauty and the Beast, the exposition part of Beauty and the Beast is really that opening song where she's singing about like all the basic people in town and like they're also boring and vapid and you know and then they all think she's like a weird precocious woman who likes to read and has like free thinking. Um, how dare she? Right? <laughs> these, when you look back at these shows in retrospect, by the way, they're like incredibly sexist. But oh, yeah. so the, uh, that that song is all we need for exposition. We understand everything we need for the rest of the movie to make sense. What I find when people say, well, my story is boring, it's that they're spending too much time on those details of like, let me set up the scene for you. We only need a very little bit of that. What we're really interested in is what was the shift? What was the change? What were the moments when you thought, well, things are going to be different from here? In your case, if we were spending time like going through this, I bet we could find instances where you started to, yes, maybe people came to you for that clarity. But I would imagine in the beginning, you're like, sure, yeah, I think I can help do that. I've seen that before. But there were probably a few times where you thought, oh, wait a second. I get why this is working. I get what I'm seeing. I get how I'm helping this person look at something differently than they did before. And that part of your story, Ashley, is probably really, really interesting to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's like, I kind of also, when I was listening to you describe what you're saying here, I listened to you saying like, okay, let's look at what's true, but then let's shift the focus on what do you believe about the world? Oh, or like, 100%. or like, how, how do you, what's your philosophy or something like that? And like tying it to a moment in your life very briefly. So I think this is really powerful for anybody who's, and I, I think about it for job interviews too, because people right now are networking on Zoom and it can be really weird to, you know, not only just counter Zoom fatigue, which is like such a real thing, but also like really connect through a computer, you know? And I think when you can move people and tell them what you believe, it's like such a breath of fresh air versus like regurgitating your resume, you know, like this throw up that needs to come out, you know? <laughs> It's totally, and it's it's very similar. Like that part of the interviewing process is very similar to 
So, so let's say you got the job and now you have to give a presentation. It's like the same thing that happens for public speaking where if all you're doing when you get in front of me is like going through the like seven steps in your bullet points and your process, then like just send me the PDF ahead of time and save us both the hassle of showing up in the room. And, and I think that's happening with Zoom. It's like, save me the hassle of like cleaning up the house and, and putting on, uh, putting on, getting my hair fixed and putting on makeup and getting dressed. Like if you're just going to like not really show up and regurgitate what's on the screen, then just send me the PDF because I can read it myself. And at least I can do fun voices when I read it, you know? And so I think that there's, um, I think that there's, especially like when someone's interviewing for a job, when they ask you, like, tell me about yourself or what did you learn in the, this position? It's such an opportunity to really tell a story there versus just highlighting the bullet points on your resume because the bullet points on the resume, and, and we both know this, and even, even the, the things you said about me uh, with what I've done, there's a lot of people who've done a lot of things. And so if that's all we're competing on, if all we're competing on is the, the school we went to, the grades we got, the companies we've worked for, if there's nothing more to us, then that's like a really exhausting rat race because someone is always going to be able to do more than we did. But yeah. if we can look at our experiences and say, what did I learn through that? Who did I become? How did I change? How did my worldview shift? And who are you getting now when you hire me? What have I been through that's going to help this company? And let me explain to you how it is because what they're really hiring is how you think. And that's the same thing with public speaking. When someone gets you on stage, what they're wanting there is your perspective, your opinion, your way of looking at the world. And if you can bring that, then the sky's really the limit. Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I love this. And it's so interesting to listen to you because I had a little flashback of a wedding I went to probably five years ago. And this girl that I knew who's so sweet, like sweet, like pie, you know what I mean? Just like <laughs> a, little, a little, like kind of Pleasantville vibes. Like she's just so perfect, like so sweet, so thoughtful. She ended up marrying this guy that a lot of the girls didn't really like. And I didn't really under, I didn't have an opinion on it because I never really spent time with him. But we went to the wedding and I remember all of the people who knew him stood up to do like speeches. And there's like a level obviously of storytelling when somebody's standing up and giving any sort of speech, let alone at a wedding. And I remember they just kind of regurgitated like, you know, so-and-so and and his time at Yale and this thing and his big achievement as the vice president of the firm. And it was like such a buzzkill for the wedding. And it's like, um, I, I guess sometimes people just kind of miss the mark and think, you know, don't get intimate, don't really share about who they are really. And and it strikes me as interesting just listening to you now as well, because I'm starting the YouTube channel really soon. I didn't even have time to tell you that. That's just like me being random. I love it. I think, I think it's just for me to entertain myself, honestly, Mike, like I'm just, <laughs> just at home with COVID and I'm like, let me just do a YouTube channel in my living room. <laughs> it's so 2020, you know? Yeah. 
And I was looking at this other person on the internet. She does career advice and there's not a lot of us out there. And she was saying in your elevator pitch, don't talk about yourself personally. Just talk about like your career and your results. And I get that. But I mean, don't you just think like, where's the line between educating somebody on things they need to know and like connecting with somebody on a soul level about like what moves you and who you are? Like, how do you kind of decide, like, maybe there's a businessy meeting and you don't want to share too much? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I was, I was coaching a lawyer uh, recently for a presentation just last week, actually. And they're giving a presentation, something about juries or, you know, something. I don't, I don't remember all the specific details. And this kind of idea came up of, well, I, I feel like I should reveal something personal. You know, I'm supposed to tell my personal story. So where is that appropriate? And I thought, probably nowhere in this presentation. Like you're giving a business presentation. The audience came there uh, to learn something. And so what if there's another approach? And she, and she said, well, I read somewhere that I, I should give, you know, a great speech includes like your, your personality and your personal opinion. And I thought, yeah, your, your personality is the, the delivery device, right? It's like if we were all getting in a bus and we got to choose which bus line did we travel on. I was in I was in Europe last year, and I realized, you know, here in the U.S., if you're getting on a bus, you just get on the Greyhound. That's your only option. But I realized when I was in Europe, and there was trains, and, and even trains, you get on Amtrak. When I was in Europe, there was like seven different kinds of trains you could pick, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. I have choices now because I'm here versus the U.S. And your personality is just the delivery device of that. It's the style. Are you going to take the Virgin, the Virgin train? Are you going to take the, the, you know, the, the Highlander train? Which train are you going to take? Which style? That's your personality. And that could be businessy. It could be, you know, you don't have to self-reveal to be a fun, humorous person, even in a business presentation. And what I find is that people get conflicting advice because they think, well, I'm supposed to tell my personal views of like, I'm a, I'm a mother, I'm a father. And it's like, that's not exactly what I think. What I think, and, and I disagree with this other person's advice, by the way, who said, you should only share your career and your results. What I think is really valuable in a business presentation, and this is useful whether you're doing a job interview, whether you're doing an elevator pitch, whether you are up for promotion, whether you're giving a sales a proposal to somebody, you're pitching someone to buy something from your company or work with your 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 you as a vendor. It's not necessarily we, we don't necessarily want to hear about your career and your results because that also is just true stuff that we can look up and find and it's relatively boring and every other person we meet in the process of vetting you says the same kinds of things. What's really yes. interesting is your opinion on all of those things. What's interesting is what changed about you or what did you discover about the process of doing whatever it is that you do that's different? Because then you could stand out. Yes, you and someone else both might have got $10 million in sales and been the number one salesperson in your company. And if that's all you've got, then I just have to pick which one of you I like best, I guess. I'm not really sure how I'd make that choice. But if you told me a story about who you became through the process, like what challenges you faced becoming the number one salesperson in your team, what that was like and what you learned about yourself and what you went through and who you became on the other side of it. I'm hiring that person every day of the week because now I know that it wasn't just a fluke, that you didn't just get lucky. You didn't just get a couple big accounts. You didn't get handed the number one territory in the country and you didn't really have to do much. What I heard is what you went through and who you became in the process of becoming the number one salesperson. And that is bankable. That is how you stand out. Yes, I love this. And it's it strikes me as so true. And 
it's, I think it surprises me how many of us, and I guess it doesn't, like we wear so much armor that it blocks us from really being able to share a story in a way that connects to people. So it's, it's a good reminder to really share something. And one of the things you'd mentioned before we started recording was how like anybody who wants to kind of get connected to their origin story and deliver a, de- deliver a story that's productive or that moves somebody is you talked about WTF moments. Like, can you tell me a little bit about what that is? <laughs> <laughs> They're exactly like they sound. But one of the things, and this is really useful, again, whether you're, whether you're uh, interviewing for a position, you're interviewing for promotion, or you're an entrepreneur and you're reaching out to people with your startup to, for fundraising or you're reaching out to people to work with you, to hire you as as a coach or hire you as a a service provider, whatever you do. The WTF moments are, when did you look around at the industry? When did you look around at whatever the topic is relevant for for your, what you're trying to communicate? When did you look around and say WTF? Like, and we could call it like what the friction moments? Because I think friction, like heat is like the source of everything great. Heat creates everything. If you think of like basically down to like the atomic structure, like nothing is created unless some friction happens. And then through that, we get humans and we get rocks both. Like both of those things are created because of friction. And so when we think of the moments that made us, uh, the moments that made us professionally, the moments that made us as a leader, the moments that made us as a sales professional, we should look and say, what were the friction moments where I said, there's got to be a better way. There's, there's mm-hmm. something is here and it's giving me an opportunity where I didn't just wake up knowing how to do this. Somehow mm-hmm. I had to go through something to change and become someone new. And change is always related to heat or friction in a way of where we say, what were those moments where you said, there are two choices here and, um, and I'm, I'm going to have to, there's some friction. I got to make something of this. When did you look out and say, I've got to start a company or I've got to go into this career field. I've got to be this kind of leader. What were those moments? And then when it comes to telling them as a story, if you think about, if you think about a, a movie, a movie often, unless it's like some big epic, it really only focuses on like a very small percentage of something. Like if you think about, again, Beauty and the Beast, that probably was the span of like two weeks in her life that we witnessed. And so yeah. we often think when we tell you know our story, we need to tell this very long story that encompasses everything we've ever done, which then starts to just be a list of true things and it gets boring mm. versus saying, can you hone in on like one or two moments that, that really did shape who you are? Like if I'm interviewing someone to coach them for storytelling and public speaking, I'll often say, Let's just go through things you believe. And so if they were coming to me about, you know, they were going to be someone in HR, they were applying for director of HR jobs, I would say, well, what do you believe about HR? What do you think everyone should be doing differently? I'm going to get really curious about how they view the world because somewhere in there is a friction moment, a WTF moment where they looked and said, it doesn't have to be this way. We could do something different. And so they're out to make a change like that. And that singular story should then probably for this interview process become their signature story that they highlight. And they just hone in on it. They get specific. They tell us about what was going on before and what was happening and why they thought the need happened. And those WTF moments become this really valuable tool that we can go, I think, change the world by spending a little bit of time digging into and and figuring out who it made us become. Beautiful. And when somebody kind of like opens up their story with a WTF moment, another 
moment that you kind of talked about, I think this is so fun to kind of look at all these is you talked about the edge of an era moment, which I feel like is so where we're at as a society right now, like the edge of an era. Um, what does that mean as far as your story goes? It's, you know, those times in your life where you, you were faced with a couple of decisions or maybe, you, I mean, I think we're always faced with decisions. Even if one of them is a really horrible decision, we still have to make a decision between, you know, uh, something that's passable and something that's horrible. And I think that those moments, which you realize once I go into this cave, once I get on this plane, once I go to this city, once I quit this job, once I break up with this boyfriend, once I get this divorce, it's never going to be the same again. That's the edge of an era. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're still in control of the pen. And so you're still writing your story. Like if you still have the pen in your hand, the story continues. You're just ending that mm -hmm. chapter. And so I think the edge of the era moments are when you look across that expanse and you say, we're going out there. We're going to go out there and find what's available. And there's always interesting moments in saying, well, how did you become the kind of person who did that? How did you, how did you look out at the darkness and say, hey, we're walking that way into that dark area because I believe something. What did you believe? What did you see? What did you know to be true? What were you scared of? And those edge of an era moments are almost always tied to really big decisions in our lives. And really big decisions in our lives are almost always tied to the really great ingredients of captivating storytelling. So beautiful. And I, I don't know why I keep worrying. Like, I think one of the biggest struggles people have is trying to figure out when they're being too vulnerable again. Like, how do you decide when it's like, okay, this is not the edge of an era that they get to know about kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. This, this question comes up a lot. And I think it's because people feel, there, there's a couple of sides. One is that we're, we're, we're not ready to tell a story yet. It's still too vulnerable for us. And so I always say that if you haven't figured out what the insight was in the story, it's not time to tell it yet in this capacity. If you're, if you're going to some kind of like therapeutic storytelling circle, then absolutely do whatever the person leading that tells you. But if you can't distill the moral of the story, the insight, then it's not time to tell it. Meaning Whenever, whenever I'm working with someone and they, they want to tell a story or they're ready to tell a story or we're working on a story, I always say, before we worry about the ingredients that go into the story, what's the insight of the story? What's the moral of the story in a way? And so like if you think of um, you know, the tortoise and the hare, that old fable that we, we heard about when we were little of the, the slow tortoise and the fast hare who was lazy and the tortoise who just kept trucking along, we learned in that that the insight was slow and steady wins the race. That was the insight. And so all of the ingredients then were about delivering that insight. But if you haven't found the insight yet, and it's just like, you know, you've been through some stuff and you've been through some like things where you had to be really heroic, but you haven't figured out the insight, then, then it's probably not time to tell that publicly. It, it, it yeah. might be in therapeutic circles or narrative therapy of some sort uh, with a group of people where that's what you're doing. Or if you're working with someone like me, we can explore that. But if you haven't figured out the insight, it's probably not ready for public consumption yet because the goal of storytelling in that way is about delivering an insight to the audience. And so if you don't know what it is yet, then that's probably just uh, therapy out loud, which is dangerous for you and for the audience. That's so interesting. Um, and, and I, 
think a lot about Brene Brown with that and how like sometimes we tell stories that she says like people ne- don't necessarily have the right to hear them or something like that or like drive by vulnerability where we'll share something that hasn't been totally integrated or processed yet and it, it kind of like throws people for a loop um, and I love that, that feedback like make sure you have an insight behind the story or else you're just kind of telling a story and people are wondering like you know, maybe getting a little blue balls, like wondering where it's going to go. Well, and the, the, if the audience is worried about you, then you've stopped doing your job. If the audience is watching you and thinking, oh my God, I don't think this person is okay. I don't think this person has been through this yet. I think this person is still raw angry, not insight looking at the world and saying that was wrong angry, but raw, undealt with um, sharp edges angry or raw, undealt with sharp edges hurt if the audience feels that about you, you are no longer doing your job as a communicator because now they're worried about creating a space for you instead of you creating a space with your story for them to explore within. And there's a, there's, I don't even think it's a fine line. I don't think that's a fine line. I think that's a pretty strong, bold line that if you are ready with, like you said, the integrated kind of insight there, if you're not ready to say what that is, then, then probably keep working through it until you get to that point and then it's safe. And it's okay to cry on stage. It's okay to feel on stage. It's okay to have emotion and all of that. I think the great stories do, but it's understanding that you're, you're telling, you're bringing the emotion, the tears, the anger in to help create a space for the audience versus the emotion and anger sneaking up on you. And then the audience needing to create safety for you. I love this. And I know the final thing you had mentioned was the, the distinction between new world and old world. And I have no idea what that means, but I'm curious to learn more for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that often happens when we start to think about like how to tell a story is it can get really confusing. There's so many, you know, when you dive into the books on storytelling or the courses on storytelling, uh, it could get really confusing. And, you know, on one a recent episode, you had John Roman Yellow on and he, he does a great job at, at this as well of like structuring it. So it's easy to say, ah, I'm learning how to do this. And so When I think about it, at its fundamental place, before you ever worry about deeper story structure, before you worry about really uh, thinking of how do I creatively create the world and how how do I humanize the people in my story, before you worry about any of that, the simplest thing you can do is say, okay, in a, to know if it's a story and not just true facts, you know, we, we sometimes think we're telling stories on our about pages or on our LinkedIn profiles because we say, uh, we say names and dates and we say like, in 2005, I did this and I worked with these people. And just because we say names and dates, we think it's a story, see? But a story actually is a structure that we need. Uh, and for me, the easiest way to do that when I sit down with someone and we're working through it, what I'll map out first is to say, I'll map three things and I'll put what was the old world? What was the new world? And then in between them, I'll draw like a little, for me, I usually draw like a thunderbolt. (laughs) It usually looks like a thunderbolt. And so basically, if you're telling the story of your career or you're telling the story of like why you made a transition, I remember interviewing someone once, Ashley, who was interviewing for a job one time. Someone was was applying for like a director of operations role for a restaurant company that uh, that I was a partner in. And they were applying for a director of operations, but they had mostly been working inside of human resources in the restaurant industry, Hmm. but they'd been working inside of HR. And so I thought, well, this is so interesting. They want to move into operations. It's a very different job. And I remember asking her, why do you want to make this move? What is is it about this? 
And she told me a great story about, and, and it had this great structure. It was the, the old world and the new world, essentially. And she was talking about how, as an HR person, she realized she, she got to learn a lot about how to put in policies and structures, how to do things that help the culture. She was the, the you know, kind of the, the gatekeeper of the company through the recruiting process. But one time she went out into the field and she got to see firsthand like what it was like for people working in the space and the questions that they had and how it required like daily leadership in a different way to show up. And it made her really thirsty for that kind of, it's one thing to write the policies. It's another thing to go in and, and bring the policies and lead people. And she said she really missed that. And so she then identified things she did. And she did a great job of explaining the old world was back when she was just writing policies and thinking she was changing the world. And then she had this thunderbolt thing that happened where she was like, wait a second, these are real people on the other side of this. And, and for these policies that are great policies to work, for this great culture to work, it takes on the ground leadership, daily leadership every day. And wow, I really, I really miss that. What can I learn about that? So she did a great job in this job interview of old world, new world. And so the old world in a story is just what was happening before? What was going on? What was every day like? What was the what was, you know, what were the circumstances? What did you used to believe? And then the new world is, so what's going on now? And then what you do mm -hmm. is you figure out what's the thunderbolt? What was the thing that changed? What was the moment where something kind of shocked me? And it doesn't have to be a big, like, dramatic shock. It could be a little one that says, like, like for you, people started reaching out and saying, hey, you're pretty good at this. You helped me get a bunch of jobs, but I don't know which one I really want now. I need some help with that. And you probably thought, Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I do that. That is what I do. So yeah, let's, let's yeah. offer that. And so we would dig yeah. in and say, okay, well, let's dig into that Thunderbolt moment and the old world and the new world and the Thunderbolt. And so that's essentially, regardless of what narrative frameworks you learn, if you learn the hero's journey or you learn uh, story spine or you read, you know, like Save the Cat, which is the screenwriting book, a uh, formulaic screenwriting mm -hmm. book, no matter which one you learn at the end of the day, Every great story is the world looked like this, something shook it, shocked it, changed it, and now the world looks like this. And if you can figure out in the moment, like if that's what you remember in an interview of like, wait, let me just say old world, new world, and this is what happened in the middle, like you're going to probably tell a pretty interesting story. Yeah. You know, what you're saying here is really key for people making a career pivot when they're talking about themselves. And I, what I hear that this girl did was she took the wisdom she got from the past. She showed gratitude for having learned that thing that, by the way, was probably very useful for the next role she was in. So she kind of took what she had done before and made sense of it as it relates to her next step. And then from there, she kind of shared, you know, what she's yearning for and a, a skill set that she wants to contribute with. So it, it's interesting because I always tell people who are making a career pivot, like it's their job to make, draw that line between the past and the future. Like what's the through line? So you, this makes a lot of sense to me. Really, really helpful. Yeah. If you think about, if you think about, you know, like if I was, if I was telling you the, um, if I was going to tell you the story of like little red riding hood and I was telling it based on what's true, you know, which is the way that we generally present our careers. We generally present our our uh, our history, our resume, our CV is all the things that are true. I would say something like um, Little Red Riding Hood lived 0.54 miles from her grandmother. She decided to visit her grandmother. Along the 0.45 miles, she ran into a wolf. The wolf had 37 teeth. They were sharp. Uh, the wolf ran ahead to tr trick her. 
wolf ate grandmother, little girl walks in, realizes something's different, man from the wood arrives and saves little girl and finds grandmother inside of wolf. The end. Like, those are all truisms. But what's the truth in there? What's the real thing in there? And I think that when we when we're looking at a career transition, when we're looking at a, a promotion internally, so maybe you're not even looking for for a uh, a new role, but maybe you're you're thinking internally, I'd like to do something else. I'd like to go from sales to marketing or marketing to sales, or I'd like to position myself as the person who can lead this team or project. The best way to do that is not going to be with your stats and figures because they likely already know those at work. What they need is for you to walk in with a story because the only thing that we all have a story about everything, right? Whatever we believe is a story we tell ourselves, essentially. Like whatever we believe is just a story we tell ourselves. The only thing that replaces the story I tell myself today is a better story. So our job, if we want to get hired, if we want to get promoted, if we want to change the mind of an audience in a boardroom or in an arena, our job is to pay attention to what their current story might be and then tell them a better story to replace it. I love this. And it's just so true. And and it's interesting because, you know, it's like a confused mind always says no. And if you make it hard for people to understand the t- the tie between where you've been and where you're headed, it's like you just can't get the job or create that opportunity or or captivate people. And, and also, I think the brain doesn't do well with a gap, you know, like we're hardwired to find incongruence. We're hardwired to find things that don't make sense for our own survival, you know? So it's like, when a story takes you, you know, you're making a career pivot or something like that, and you don't really draw that line for the listener. And and by the way, I think also part of captivating is doing it effectively because you talked about sharing the truth, 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 and then boring the person if it's long, especially. And so uh, I think there's a, an art probably and also a science to sharing it concisely. Absolutely. Sharing it concisely. And I always say sharing it full body. Like you should be yeah. doing in these moments, in these high stake moments, we should be full body communicating. It's interesting how often I will coach someone or work with someone and the person they are as soon as they start their speech or their story or their mock interview, the person they are is like 180 degrees from the person they were two minutes before when we did that. And I always think your goal should be that there's not a huge shift between them, that who you are telling a story at a a cocktail hour with your friends should be pretty close to the person you are telling a story at work. And obviously there's, there's different codes that we, that we play into. There's different ways that we show up because of what's appropriate. But at the end of the day, the energy behind it, the full bodiedness of you being in there and really showing us what's going on, that really makes a big difference. And what I'm seeing more and more is because I even I even work with like very very buttoned up financial people in the banking world, like hedge fund people. I think so. That feels very funny to me to like picture you with Isn't them because you're so fun. Isn't it? Yeah. But the reality is, they realize that what they've been doing isn't working. That that the standard here's seven thousand bullet points on a PowerPoint deck that I'm going to sit and read to you is not working, and so and there's more competition. And the audience who's buying has more options. Like, you know, think about it like when you buy a new car. You know everything you need to about the car before you walk onto the lot. You even know like if they have the color and the 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 type of 
uh, colors inside, the fabric you want. You already know that because you can look up the inventory. You can watch a million videos on YouTube. You can read reports. You can see, I mean, I was looking at this when we got, we got a new car not that long ago and I was looking up like one year in with my XYZ car of like someone who had the car for a year and what did they think of it? We walk into these places and your, your employers, your future employers, your clients, your prospective clients, they walk into the room with enough information. And if they do not have the information, they can look it up in their phone. What they're hoping you show up and do is to simplify it, to show that you're someone that they want to work with and to tell them a little bit of truth because all of the true, all of the facts and all of the information they can Google and get. Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been so good and I really needed it for my own kind of reality and work right now. So thanks for the freebie for me too, Mike. Like this is, and I'm curious, like, is there something I should be asking you that maybe I didn't, this is one of the things that I always kind of feel like it's gnawing on me when I have a good guest. I'm like, Ooh, what should I have asked? I think the, I think there's one other thing that I, that I would really want to kind of say to to this audience, the people that are listening to the show and the types of people that listen to the show and, and follow you, Ashley, is that our experiences, the things that we've gone through, the way we look at the world, the, the style in which we kind of carry our ideas with it really do matter. There are, you know, whatever it is, seven to eight billion people on this earth. There are likely people who have the career you've had, who've written books like you've written, who've been on the stages you've been on, who've uh, gone to the schools you've gone to, who've done all the things that we can do. It's all available to all of us. And so if everything is available to all of us, then the only thing that you really have to stand out is your take on your experiences by looking at what happened to you and saying, what did that mean? What can I make that mean? Who did I, who was I before and who did I become after? That is the only thing that separates a, a, you know, main stage speaker from a breakout speaker. It's the only thing that separates a bottom tier podcast from a top tier podcast. It's the only thing that separates the pool of candidates applying for positions, applying for promotions from the people that really stand out because you got an MBA from standard or from Stanford. So did a hot, I don't even know how many, probably hundreds of thousands of other people, at least Ivy league. There are probably millions of people who have Ivy league MBAs. That is not enough to stand out anymore. What you've got to do is you've got to look at what you've been through your experiences and say, my take on that is worth something. And it's worth spending a little mm-hmm. bit of time developing because that's the thing that'll really help you shine. Mm, I love this. Thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? Do you have any downloads they can grab or anything they can learn more? Yes, absolutely. So once you figure out how to spell my last name, Ganino, which is just G-A-N-I-N-O, uh, if you Google Mike <laughs> Ganino, you'll find me. I'll be the one. It's it's That's the great thing of having like a unique name, right? Is like, I'm the one you find. And, uh, <laughs> and then if you go to MikeGanino.com slash Storycraft, there's a free downloadable guide. It guides you through the five stories that I think Every entrepreneur, every leader, every job applicant, frankly, needs to be able to tell. It's the five different stories. It gives you prompts. So it's prompting you on like different ways to look at telling these stories. And then it gives you a couple of frameworks to put them in. Uh, and so that's probably the best place. And it's totally free. It's print it out and get to work and go, go mine your experiences for the gold that's in there. 
So good. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hey there, it's Ash here, and I'm just reflecting on the episode with Mike Ganino. And one of my favorite things that he talked about was how big the truth is and how unhelpful it is to sometimes share every single detail. Um, I think it's our job when it comes to job interviews or writing a resume to look at those opportunities as a marketing opportunity. So for example, when you write your resume, that's a marketing document and it's there to highlight the relevant, emphasis on the word relevant, experience that you want your next employer to know about. Not the things you've done that aren't something you want to keep doing, but the things that you've done that are relevant for where you want to be going. It's the same with the elevator pitch. When people say, tell me about yourself, I find so many job seekers think it is productive to share everything that they've done or even regurgitate their resume. But I want to go back to what Mike Ganino talks about here, which is there's many different lenses through which to look at the truth. And I think our job when we're having conversations, especially ones that are there to sell ourselves, is to pick which version of the truth you want to share so that it's cohesive, it's easy to listen to, and it makes sense. Because as humans, our brains are hardwired to find incongruence. It's a way that we keep ourselves safe whenever we find a gap in information. It tells us to keep checking it out, make sure we're safe, make sure something's not going to blindside us. And I think we use this part of our brain constantly in our love lives to make sure that there's not incongruence with the person we choose where they say one thing and do another. And it's the same thing when it comes to how you talk about yourself. You want to stay congruent and make sense of your story and keep it tight. And I think that's why it's so important to share the truth of who you are, where you are, and where you're going from an energy and a lens that really pulls from the things that you want to share about yourself as it relates to the direction you're going. So uh, I thought that Mike Ganino's conversation was a really good compliment to the episode with John Romanello. If you haven't seen his episode, you should definitely listen to it about storytelling. He talks about all the different parts of a story arc. Um, but Mike Ganino really just goes into the importance of knowing which version of the truth you plan to share. Um, so I hope this is powerful for you. I'm so excited you're listening. And thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.